Hey there, and welcome to the Oscars Death Race podcast, where we try to watch all the Oscar-nominated movies or die trying. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. Hope everyone is enjoying the Death Race so far. Uh, I'll be a bit frank, I have been a little bit behind on watching the films for the Death Race. Having a new dog in the house who likes to go on walks multiple times a day has messed up my sense of scheduling. Uh, Plus, not having any guests on the show, uh, as opposed to the past few episodes where I needed to watch movies in order to talk about them with someone by a certain recording session, uh, not having guests has removed that element of accountability for me. Uh, That being said, I was able to get through five more films this week. Uh, This episode is coming out a daily later than planned so I could get that fifth one in there, um, I decided to focus on the above-the-line major awards, acting, directing, and screenplay, and it is in the best picture, uh, for, and wrap those up with the films I had not yet seen in those categories. So this week, we'll be talking about U.S. versus Billie Holiday for Best Actress for Andrew Day, Hillbilly Elegy for Best Supporting Actress for Glenn Close, as well as Best Makeup and Hairstyling, The White Tiger for Best Adapted Screenplay, and Another Round for Best Director, as well as Best International feature film. Before all that, though, a quick check-in with the Death Race. Uh, Over on Slide Astronomer's site, we've got 15 racers signed up. No new racers have yet completed the race as of yet compared to last week. Um, That said, I have found another site from Reddit user Ford vs. Perrari, appropriately called uh, OscarsDeathRace.com. There are there are uh, 362 racers signed up, and six have completed the race on their uh, annual survivor, Ufrab, who's also on Site Astronomer's site, uh, Van Nisselroy86, uh, Stinger Kildred, Girl Hermy, and M. Glenn Johnson. Congratulations for completing the race so far. If you're interested in more movies to watch, uh, make sure to keep an eye out on the Academy of Death Racers over on our Discord and the subreddit Oscars Death Race. Uh, this coming Sunday, we'll be announcing the specific brands, categories, and nominations uh, for everyone to watch uh, for additional ca- uh, categories, um, including films not put in the traditional Death Race. Uh, the Creators brands, the Indie brands, the Food and Drink brands, and the Animal Lovers brands all will have their own categories in addition to the general Academy-wide favorite film, which just separate from Best Picture. Anyway, make sure you're in the Discord to join the General Academy to be able to vote on all of these categories. All right, that aside, let's hop into these films. Uh, while I won't go into full analytical breakdown of each, I also won't be signing away from spoilers, though I don't think I get into anything too, too spoilery here, so you have been warned. Uh, first up, we have United States versus Billie Holiday. This is an adaptation of uh, Johan, uh, Johan Hari's book, Chasing the Scream, The First and Last Days of the War on Drugs, about jazz singer Billie Holiday and her struggle with narcotics and various legal troubles throughout her life with the federal government over her singing the controversial anti-lynching song, Strange Fruit. Uh, Originally, it was going to be distributed by Paramount Pictures, but it ended up being sold to Hulu and was released February 26th on the streaming service, which is where I watched it this past weekend. Uh, It was directed by Lee Daniels and stars the singer Andrew Day in the titular role of Billie Holiday. Um, As noted, that is its only nomination, uh, which is being for Best Actress. Uh, Andrew Day started getting buzz for this, uh, you know, going, uh, getting the nod and the win back at the Golden Globes Award back in February, um, as well as getting nominated for Critics' Choice, and ultim- which ultimately went to Maria Bakalova for the Borat sequel. Now, overall, as a film, I'll be honest, this one's a bit of a mess. Um, I'll get to Andrew Day's performance in a little bit, which is the bright spot in this film, but for as for the rest of the movie, 
When I compare it to some of the other excellent black films that have come out this year with similar themes, I'm thinking Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, dealing with influential black singer who is successful in the white man's world of entertainment, played by Viola Davis, or Judas and the Black Messiah, about the FBI's demonization of a young, influential black figure in Fred Hampton, played by Daniel Kaluuya, this one just falls short and is terribly unfocused. Uh, the screen, from the screenplay perspective, it doesn't really do enough to make me care about all the side characters um, and why they're important and what their motivations are. Uh, this is particularly confusing when it comes, since I didn't know her story ahead of time uh, and I didn't know about all of her different multiple partners and husbands throughout her life and needed to have Wikipedia up to you know pulled up as I was watching it to follow what was going along. At the same time, it tries to have a perspective and say something about the black experience in America and institutional racism, but the message is just undermined by both a lack of subtlety and then the confusing delivery in that the editing was a headache. Um, it, it, the pacing of the film dragged out. It felt much longer than the two-hour runtime. Uh, back to the editing for a second. Uh, in particular, you know, that was the first sign that, uh, that this film was going to be a bit of a slog uh, with what felt like a cross-dissolved transition um, for no apparent reason that, you know, that, that had even finished before another cross uh, dissolved transition had had started. Um, you know, heck, there were even points where there was like a random old timey filter thrown on for like two seconds with no discernible reason again, since you know the film's already been established to be in the past. And you know, the scope of the screenplay again, it sounds like you know, you could just focus on that specific conflict with the FBI, but. It starts midway through her life, you know, so presumably you're supposed to know who she is already, and then it just kind of goes on through the end, but it doesn't hit the conventions of a biopic film, which, while they may be tropey, does still add some sort of structure to uh, the film, to biopics overall. Now, now, like I said before, you know, the highlight of this film is Andrew Day's performance as Billie Holiday. She's clearly the best part of the film, which is impressive given this is her first real major acting role. Um, apparently, her stage name actually was inspired by Billie Holiday's nickname, Lady Day. So this she seems like a perfect fit. Now, I don't want to get into the debate of if this performance was Oscar-worthy or not, especially compared against everything else out there in the past year, which I haven't seen. I will say I think I do see the path of how she made it in. Uh, first, I think in comparison to the relative mess that is the rest of the film, uh, her star shines that much brighter, um, elevating her profile and making her, you know, not, I won't say better than she actually is, but definitely have that allure of being, you know, the best part of a film. Uh, you know, secondly, as a first-time actress, again, being able to carry a film like that is impressive, or maybe if you're a little bit more cynical, if you think that people might have had lowered expectations, and because she surpassed them, she looks that much better. And then third, and perhaps most importantly, I mean, it's not a bad performance from her, given the material that she, she has to work with. Uh, she definitely delivers on the singing element, uh, which is, you know, crucial for a role like uh, Billie Holiday. Uh, and then third, and, and, and you know, she also does a good job of portraying the different sides of, of Lady Day. You know, her composed onstage performance contrasted to kind of the mess that her life was behind the scenes. Um it's also worth noting that, you know, Diana Ross was nominated back in 1972 for her portrayal of Billie Holiday in Lady Sings the Blues. Haven't seen that, but I'm, I'm curious how the, this performance compares against Diana Ross's performance. Now, obviously, if you're doing the death phase, you're going to need to watch Billie Holiday uh, at some point in time. Uh, but uh, I would not, if you're just going along for funsies, I would not recommend this film in good faith just because there are so many better ways to watch to spend two hours. Okay, so moving on to the next film, it's another one that a lot of people I've seen have had reservations about Hillbilly Elegy. 
Uh, this one was directed by Ron Howard, and it adapts the 2016 memoir of the same name by author and venture capitalist J.D. Vance about his upbringings in relation to Appalachian values. Uh, it stars Amy Adams as J.D.'s mother and Glenn Close as J.D.'s grandmother, Mama. Uh, it, was, it was released on Netflix on November 24th, which is where I watched it uh, this past weekend. It currently is nominated for Best Supporting Actors for Glenn Close, as well as for Best Hair and Makeup. Now, there's a lot of consternation at Hillbilly Elegy among the death racing community, uh, with both them and critics generally not liking the film. Uh, 26% from Rotten Tomatoes and 2.6 out of 5 from Leatherbox, which is pretty bad. Um, even the Razzies nominated for Worst Director, Supporting Actress, and Screenplay. However, I'll be honest, I really didn't think it was that bad, guys. Uh, sir, it may not be up there to the standards of other Oscar-nominated films of the past, uh, and maybe it's because I saw it just immediately after U.S. Billie Holiday as my point of reference, but I thought it was fine. I mean, it's no Best Picture nominee, but it's not like it is nominated for Best Picture. Um, and, you know, potentially that it has even has some good takeaways, you know, in messaging. Now, looking at Rotten Tomatoes, the audience score and general Reddit comments I saw in the R Movie subreddit discussion seem to be some sort of resonance with the general public. People seem to like this film. Uh, they found something with it that they could enjoy, as reflected by the 84% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. Soapbox moment here, uh, just because a film doesn't execute well or is at the level of other Best Picture nominees doesn't mean it doesn't have something today and can be meaningful for someone. I mean, and that's kind of the point of discussions of having more diversity and representation in the media in general, uh, which I know very well as an Asian American who's celebrating Minari's uh, inclusion in the Oscars this year. Um, you know, the power of seeing yourself and your story reflected on screen and something you can resonate to is, you know, super important. I think if Hillbilly Elegy is that for other people, who am I to, you know, stomp on that? Um, I think the story of poverty in general and, and being trapped in your family specific situation uh, and the opioid crisis in non-coastal America and specifically, I probably hit some of the audience really as well, which frankly, you know, probably doesn't overlap with the more coastal based elites. And I'll be honest, like I don't really directly relate to. Um, again, not making the argument this would have been nominated for Best Picture or is the cream of the crop, but I personally give this a 3 out of 5 stars. It's pretty average for me. Again, this is not the dumpster fire I think most people make it out to be. I think part of you know the consternation comes from what the source material that it adapts. Uh, J.D. Vance's memoirs, which, disclaimer, I haven't read, um, but most those who have that I've seen online said it's not the best representation of Appalachia, some issues with him actually being raised in Ohio, even though he his family originates from Kentucky, and you know it, it, it's some of a biased perspective apparently, with contradictory viewpoints of saying that you know rural Americans are to blame for their own problems, whereas you know family his family in particular was held back because of circumstance, not their own fault, uh, which I can see raising some ire and you know be somewhat tone deaf. That said, you know if anything, I think the film adaptation of this silently subverts that by focusing more on the circumstances of Midwest American poverty and how the lack of infrastructure to really support those need or, you know, really contributes to that never-ending cycle. Um, I think this is particularly so in that scene at the beginning when he's at, you know, the dinner at Yale and he doesn't know how to use all the different forks at dinner because no one had taught him etiquette because that's not where he was raised as opposed to his upper-crust Ivy League peers. You know, in, in some ways that even resonates to me, you know, outside of ge specific geographic areas and parallels can be drawn to the more minority experience of poverty and being a first-generation low-income individual. Now, the other thing, right, I think people are upset that, like, oh, this film, which they didn't like, you know, is getting a nomination. Well, the Oscars are about nominating specific parts of films, you know, aside from Best Picture, that people really enjoyed. And 
for better or worse, I think Glenn Close really was really good here. She's one of the strongest parts of the films. And I do have a soft spot for her. Maybe it's something about grandmothers. We'll, we'll see, you know. Um, but, you know, she, she did remind me of my own grandmother. Um, Amy's Adams' performance, I could have gone without as it felt kind of one note to me and, and you know, didn't really hit, I think, what it was trying to go for. And the rest of the performances, I think, were mediocre at best to a little bit wooden, especially on the actor who plays JD. Um, though I do think, I will say maybe his sister, you know, I think there was something to his sister's performance um, that, that is, I think, a little bit underrated. Same as the elder sister uh, for Minari as well. Now, as far as makeup and hairstyling, um, I think this is actually one I would consider a frontrunner alongside Ma Rainey's Black Bottom in that this film really uses its makeup to tell the story and arc of the characters. Amy Adams in particular, her transformation from being a nurse as Beverly uh, to after the time skip being, you know, a recovering addict, uh, uh, you know, and even into some degree still partaking in the addict, um, and the way her hair was done to kind of reflect that really sold that transformation for me. So, you know, overall, like I said, uh, Hillbilly LZ, 3 out of 5, not as bad as you think, not the best film out there, but I don't think this is something that you would use to think of as like, oh, this is like going to be a pain to get through. All right, rounding out our Best Actress nominees for this episode is Vanessa's, Vanessa's Kirby's performance in Pieces of a Woman. This is directed by Comel Mundusco. Uh, apologies if I didn't pronounce that correctly. Um, with a screenplay written by his partner, Kata Weber. Um, and this, again, the film stars Vanessa Kirby and Cia LaBeouf as uh, parents who have a home birth that goes wrong, ending in the premature death of their daughter. Don't worry, that's the premise, not a spoiler. Um, anyway, the rest of the film is focused on their grieving process. Uh, this one was originally a stage play of the same name, um, by the same directing team from Poland, and the film was produced by Martin Scorsese, being released on Netflix January 7th. Now, the part of this film that everyone talks about and I agree with is the highlight is definitely the first 30 minutes or so, which includes a 24-minute one-take shot uh, of Kirby's character going into and completing labor. Uh, this stems, again, from the film's origins as a stage play where a live performance is analogous to a single take. Now, I'm a sucker for a single take, a good single take shot. Heck, I really enjoyed 1917, uh, despite going, even if it was up against Parasite, uh, because, you know, it, it made it a long way through last award season because of its faux one-shot take uh, premise. And, you know, this is no exception from a technical perspective. It's 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 stellar, right? Particularly, you know, I really enjoyed how they were able to swap in uh, an actual baby that they used to stand in. Um, and I think swapped it out, you know, at the end uh, when it started turning blue. Um, and also, you know, Kirby's, uh, I guess, prosthetic belly um you know to fake being pregnant um you know it, i it it there was perfect choreography at, at getting all the shots where they needed to but also felt very organic and very real which apparently is what they were going for in trying to suit it um you know uh and and you know i, I it's very immersive because you can't you, the three characters present right the husband the wife and the midwife um you know, because it's they can't hide behind an edit, they really have to act super well in this scene to really convey everything going on. And, you know, I found myself just trying to pick up, you know, in the one shot scene of where things might have gone wrong. What's the point at which, you know, things went south, if there was a moment when things went south. Um, and, you know, the, the unbroken shot just raised that tension over time. In fact, one review I saw pointed out how in the latter part of the film, when there's a testimony going on in court, you could actually go back and re-watch the scene as it happened just to confirm, oh, is the testimony accurate to what is, you know, what was actually happened or not? Um, we like this omniscient force at seeing everything as it's going on. Um, and you know, if we're talking about Kirby's nomination here, you know, again, see, 
no pun intended, really delivered, uh, you know, uh, giving a really convincing, you know, performance of what a birth would be like, which, you know, in, in movies and television, it's usually kind of sort of like, puss, puss, and it's kind of like cuts to, you know, something happy, and then it doesn't, doesn't show the full range, um, which, you know, this is a very believable performance, you know, at least comparative to, from what I know, um, which is all the more impressive, given that Kirby's never given birth herself, so it's not like he could draw on this experience, but she could, she, she did her research and she really put in the time to, to give something I think that, that was would sell well. Now, the rest of the film, unfortunately, I don't think holds up quite as well. It mostly devolves into lingering melodrama that went on just a little bit tad too long. Um, I can tell this comes from a very personal place, right? You know, not to discredit the directing and writing team. Apparently, they drew from their real-life experiences of their own miscarriage as an inspiration for the film. And if that's, you know, if they're putting their feelings and their emotions and, and their grief of, of that moment into this film, I get it, right? Um... I think in terms of like acting and, and me personally resonating with it, you know, maybe I just not don't have that life experience. But I think there are moments that do shine out. Um, in in that what I would consider, you know, to be a little bit of a a, a little bit drawn out, right? Um, you know, I, and maybe it's because I think another thing that place I read is like the film was the stage play was originally the birth and also the you know this dinner scene and and I think maybe that might have been the court scene those particular scenes right the dinner and the court scene as well as the birth are the parts that stand out you know where she confronts her mom uh, played by Ellen Bernstein and uh, the courthouse statement that she gives I think those all are the best parts everything in between kind of is kind of eh. uh, in particular Celia Booth's character kind of is just like really unlikable in this film um, I honestly I was thinking like man everyone could just be a, this would be so much more better if everyone just talked and went to therapy and tried to work things out. And you know, obviously, therapy isn't like a cure all for everything, but I mean, it's very. I don't know, it feels very self-destructive, which maybe is the point of the film. Um, but, you know, and Ellen, Ellen Bernstein's performance as the grandmother, to me, her and Sio are just so immensely unlikable and unsympathetic as a film. And I guess that just makes Kirby's performance stand out that much more. You know, add in a couple of somewhat cheesy metaphors about life and a bridge being grief that were a tad on the cheesy side for me. Um, I'd say if you're not on death race, you know, Watch the first 30 minutes of the film to appreciate the technical and artistic masterclass. That is the one take and, you know, leave the rest to your imagination, even if you consider that just like a short film. Now, moving on to another category, um, we move to screenplay. Um, I was surprised when The Right Tiger was able to sneak into Best Adapted Screenplay. Um, I was doubly so when, you know, I was doubly more surprised when I watched it because, spoilers, I really, really like this film. Um, this one was directed and written by Iranian-American uh, director Ramin Barani. Uh, it adapts the New York Times bestseller uh, of the same name by Aravind Adiga uh, in his debut work. It's co-produced by Ava DuVernay's Array and Priyanka Chopra Jonas's Purple Pebble Pictures. And it stars Chopra, Jonas, and as and Hindi actor uh, Rajkumar Rao, as well as you know newly found leading man Adas Gaurav, um, in you know the title titular role as the White Tiger, uh, and this one released on Netflix in January twenty second. Now, while I haven't read the novel that this is based off of, the way the story was told was just super grouping and snappily paced, right? Which is both pluses. Uh, there's an obvious comparison to be made here with Slumdog Millionaire in some regards, you know, being a rags to rich story based in India with a number of flashbacks, but it does its own thing separate from that, I think, well enough. Um, while I'm not Indian per se, my wife and I definitely saw parallels between the portrayal of wealth inequality and political corruption from this film to that in our own home country of the Philippines, uh, was similar issues arise. Everyone involved, but especially the three leads, uh, all act extremely convincingly as, you know, 
partly archetypes of you know the different kinds of people you find in this in this country, um, as well as having their own arc over time. Um, you know, from Balram's awakening to becoming the White Tiger to Ashok being torn between his Western education, and his family's expectations, to Pinky being a well-meaning if misguided fist out of water. Um, you know, as a Westerner. I will say the last third probably isn't as great as the first two thirds, um, but I think that's likely more a difference between like a nine out of ten versus a seven out of ten last third, which is still great I think overall, and you know still ends I think on a on a really affirming note to some degree, right? Um, and and you know randomly also I'll 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 say I really enjoyed the soundtrack that they picked throughout the film, adding like a little punch of hip hop mixed with Indian sensibilities uh, throughout the entire film. So um, definitely make sure you watch the white. Tiger, I think it's, you know, uh, I don't think it's going to win a Best Adapted Screenplay. I think there's too much uh, momentum in other ca- in other uh, films in the category, but um, this was definitely a pleasant surprise to be added to the Death Race for sure. Uh, the final film to talk about this episode is one with two nominations, um, Another Round, uh, or Druck, uh, directed by Thomas Vintenberg and starring Mads Mikkelsen, uh, nominated for both Best International Feature Film on behalf of Denmark and, of course, Best Directing. It tells the story of four teacher friends who experiment with maintaining a low level of intoxication to try and improve their lives. It was planned to be released at Cannes before COVID shut that down. Um, Instead, its world premiere was at the Toronto International Film Festival before releasing in Denmark on September 24th and coming to Hulu on December 4th, where I watched it. Uh, This is likely frontrunner for Best International Feature Film, having been nominated at the Golden Globes and Critics' Choice for Best Foreign Language Film and BAFTA equivalent for Non-English Films. um, uh, as well as the director nomination, uh, the best picture director nomination, best director nomination, which is a bit of a surprise for Vintenberg, uh, if a welcome one, uh, with the only major precursor award for it being a nomination for best director at BAFTA, um, as well as the maybe the European Film Awards, but I don't really count those, uh, and most people don't for the award shows. So, as with the Best Director Award, another round was a pleasant surprise for me in watching it. Um, unlike White Tiger, which moves at a much more brisk pace than this film does, um, and White Tiger is a little bit more loud and colorful and in your face, um, maybe perhaps reflecting the culture and, and the city life within India, uh, this one is much more on the subtler side, perhaps reflecting you know the more European sensibility. But it doesn't lose its it doesn't lose out in its own unique sense of humor. Uh, one thing I really appreciated was that you really get the sense of how cold culturally specific, uh, this film is to Denmark and their culture, um, from institutions like gymnasiums to drinking culture to the the wry sense of humor sprinkled throughout. Um, I also really appreciated the lighting and cinematography throughout this one, even if it's not nam- nominated for those. And also, while it's not a free screenplay, I think there are parts and themes and motifs here um, that are just absolutely brilliant. I'll admit, I'll add this next bit off of a Reddit post in our movies, but it all just makes sense for me. Um, the gist of the comment that I read was that water in the film basically acts as a metaphor for life, uh, as well as a foil to alcohol, you know, and, you know, the main component, it's, since it's, you know, it's a foil to alcohol, since you drink it to kind of cure, be cured from a hangover, but also it's a part of alcohol because many drinks are, you know, have, have, alcohol has some water content in it, right? Um, and, you know, the proximity of characters to water, be it living on the water or, you know, spending time on a boat, for example, um, 
and 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 their relationship to the sea, perhaps including seafood that they that they're eating, you know, represents how alive a character is, um, which is interesting contrast to the fact that alcohol in the film is what makes some of them feel alive. Um, and so I really appreciated that kind of nuance there, especially with you know the final scenes where two characters, again, I'm not going to give too many spoilers, but two characters end up in the sea for very different reasons, um, kind of as the source going back to the source of life. Uh, speaking of alcohol, you know, as the film uh, about drinking, presumably, the depiction of alcohol and the way it is described alcohol, first off, really stood out to me in the screenplay. But then its effects were, the way it depicted the effects was also super interesting. Uh, for the most part, you know, this film is pretty much non-judgmental. Uh, in, in some interviews I've seen with Vintenberg, they went for a film that was talking about what alcohol could do without passing judgment, right? So it's the positive effects of, you know, mild intoxication, as well as the more negative effects that could happen with binge drinking and, and becoming an alcoholic, and the effect it can have on an individual and their relationships. Again, not judging, just kind of showing this is what the possibility and the spectrum of, of alcohol consumption could be. And, you know, in, in a sense, I think the film isn't about alcohol per se. It's more about the alcohol acts as an instigating agent to act uh, to talk about the examination of what it means to live and to appreciate life, right? Um, reportedly, the film was originally just to be supposed to be about the celebration of alcohol um, and what life would be like without it. But you know, after the tragic passing of Vintenberg's daughter, uh, you know, four days into shooting, they changed the film a little bit to be a little bit more about life and, and affirming life, right? Um, which I think this film does very well. Um, you know, I, of course, this is all just one interpretation of the film. Um, you know, I, another thing I found that was super interesting was that, you know, another round can refer to, you know, another round of drinks, but then also another round is another round, another shot at life. Um, so again, open up to interpretation however you see fit. Um, and, you know, there's definitely a point to be made, um, maybe many points to be made, and you have to discover them for yourselves and what the point is for you at the end of the film, um, which I think those are the best kind of films out there. So this is somewhere like in a four, four and a half, five range uh, for me out of five. Now, speaking of that ending, though, uh, Mads Milkerson dancing and doing jazz ballet is just one of the best endings of the year. Perfect Seth's kiss. And, you know, many people have said that. I'm definitely prone to agree. Um, you know, we definitely need more of that in the future. And I also just got to give a shout out to the portrayal of male adult friendship in this film, which, frankly, you don't really see that much of in, in theaters. So anyway, there you have it. Uh, these are the films uh, for the above-the-line categories, and I'm completed with all of them. Uses versus, U.S. versus Billie Holiday, Hillbilly Elegy, Pieces of a Woman, White Tiger, and Another Round. Um, with all of that, I am now up to 22 out of 41 features, uh, still only 1 out of 15 sorts, so 23 out of 56 films total. Um, as I noted, you know, Another Round is the front runner for another category, Best International Feature Film. And in a way, you know, White Tiger is also uh, an international film being set primarily in India. Uh, for next week's episode, I'll be watching three of the other four Best International Feature Film nominees, Cor Vidis Ida, uh, Better Days, and The Man Who Sold His Skin, um, as as well as two Italian films nominated in other categories, Pinocchio and Life Ahead. Uh, we'll be saving Collective for a, uh, a documentary-specific episode later on. Um, but in any case, that wraps up this episode of the Oscars Death Race podcast. What did you think of all the films I talked about this episode, and what do you think their chances are for their respective nominated categories? Let me know about your, what your thoughts are and how your Death Race is going all on Twitter at OscarsDRaceCast or via email at OscarsDeathRacePodcast at gmail.com. Uh, make sure you're subscribed to the show on your podcast service of choice, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and if you can leave us a review there or on Podstation.com or even just share the show with a friend who loves movies, um, any of that is super appreciated. 
appreciated. If you want to help directly financially contribute to the show, you can do so on Patreon, linked in the show notes. Um, also linked will be my Letterbox account under the username NinjaBoy, boy with an I. Also, be sure to check out the Oscars Race and Oscars Death Race subreddits, as well as the Oscars Death Race Discord and the community websites. Uh, music is provided by Kevin MacLeod. You can find his stuff at incompetech.filmmusic.io. Editing and production is provided by Ninja Boy Media. That's it for this week. This has been Paulo of the Oscars Death Race podcast. Until next time, I'll be here trying to watch all the Oscar nominees or die trying. Oh,